A reading from the Gospel of John. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among, among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they that these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we ask that you will uh, open our hearts to your word, that you will uh, speak to us accurately, uh, grant us to hear accurately. Above all, uh, will you by your spirit um, give, give the reality that we're going to talk about. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, keep the, um, we're actually going to look at both readings just a little bit. This is our second crack at the uh, gospel reading, so uh, we're just going to look at a, a little, uh, just a little portion of it. Um, Brooke mentioned at the beginning of the service that um, literally just a few minutes ago marked the 100th anniversary of the end of uh, the First World War. Um, almost to the minute, I mean, we're in the wrong time zone, but um, it was 11 o'clock in the morning on November 11. Uh, 1918, uh, when World War I ended. And, uh, yeah, of course, you know that it was billed, World War I was billed as the war to end all wars. Uh, apparently, the idea was that somehow through this uh, horrendous war, I don't know, it, it, everybody would see how bad it is and, and wouldn't want to do it again. Uh, which, 100 years later, just uh, strikes us, doesn't it? As just a, a tragically naive thing to say. Because if you look over the last hundred years, violence uh, has kind of rolled down over the century like some sort of heinous, vile flood. And it's a flood uh, that no one can stop. And it's a, it's a flood that isn't contained even by war. Uh, it's a flood that jumps its banks, so to speak so that we experience violence in war zones and in places where you should expect peace. And nobody has to talk about, it. I mean, just in the last days, uh, the way that's true. Now, I realize, um, uh, gee, Jim, that's a heavy way to start. 
Um, I, I, re I recognize that, but I start there partially because it's an important day for us to remember. Uh, but there's a more important reason why I start there, and here's the more important reason. Jesus followed the must never shy away from the profound darkness in our world. In fact, one way to think about the whole story of Jesus is that Jesus is what it looks like when God himself doesn't shy away from the darkness of our world. Because I suppose, you know, God could have done that, right? God could have looked at our world, seen its brokenness, seen that flood that runs through human history, and God could have just said, all right, yeah, 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 I'll deal with it, but I'll deal with it from a safe distance. I'll deal with it from a distance. But that's not the story of Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus is what God looks like as God wades right into the flood. And Jesus' followers uh, do something similar. See, th th think about that gospel reading we, we just heard. So Jesus, we talked about this last week, Jesus is talking to his disciples just uh, hours perhaps before his arrest, and he says in so many words, he says, disciples, um, you are going to be hated and killed for following me. In other words... Uh, Jesus says, you are going to be special targets of that terrible flood. And then, verse 27, in so many right. Jesus says, and that's precisely where I'm sending you to bear witness about me. Right into the flood. Picture the scene. So Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. Um, one eye, Jesus knows what's coming. One eye, Jesus is looking at the flood of evil that is just about ready to wash over him in a few minutes when he gets arrested and then goes to the cross. But with the other eye, so to speak, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, I am sending you into the same flood. And so the question for us today is this, how do we witness well to Jesus Christ in like midst of a broken world like ours where the flood is running like crazy? In other words, how do we become resilient witnesses to Jesus Christ? Okay, that's the, the, the big question we need to wrestle with. I want to show, point out three observations from both our readings and three implications uh, from both our readings. Um, Here's the first observation. Christian witness means describing Jesus' beauty right into the middle of the world's darkness. Let me show you again with the gospel reading. We um, remember that in this reading, we went into it in more detail last week, Jesus paints a reasonably bleak picture for his disciples, right? It's not the most encouraging thing. He says, um, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand that the world, the way the world treats me, Jesus says, the world's going to treat you, which is to say, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, my cross is a preview for your future. Oh, dear. Now, in a one way, what Jesus is talking to his disciples about is specific to them. However, 
in the larger context of the New Testament, it's very clear that uh, Jesus, for anybody who's going to follow Jesus, we have to understand that following Jesus means it means more dudes heading headlong into some of the darkest experiences of the world. It means more than that. It means infinite joy as well that we will, it'll take eternity to fully experience. But by the same token, Jesus never sugarcoats following him. It's one of the reasons you can trust him, by the way, if you're trying to think about whether or not Jesus is a good idea. One of the reasons you can trust him is that Jesus is never just marketing himself to you. He's really straightforward. There's wonderful joys, wonderful benefits. There's extraordinary cost as well. Back to the reading. So Jesus says, follow me, uh, and the world's going to hate you. You're going to have to wait for you, the flood of the world's darkness. And then verse 27, he says, and that's exactly where you are going to witness about me. What I find interesting is that Jesus commissions his apostles to witness to him. Jesus commissions his apostles to describe his beauty right into the midst of the darkness. It's not that they're supposed to uh, uh, witness from a safe distance, kind of lob some nice theological truth uh, over the fence, if, if, and if they get the ark just right, it'll kind of maybe hit the target. That's not it. They're to, they're to fully in. Jim, I'm there to witness to Christ. Jim, I don't know what you're talking about. Great, let me give you an example. Um, first reading, the uh, book of Acts, uh, this scene occurs, I don't know, a few years after uh, Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. But what happens is the church has been growing in Jerusalem and beyond it. And there's a guy called Saul <clears throat> excuse me, who is persecuting the church. Uh, Christians are dying, being imprisoned. Saul is uh, helping that happen. So Saul is a perpetrator of evil, clearly. And he's an agent of the world's darkness. And then, you, a lot of you will know this story, uh, Saul's walking to Damascus, he's on the road, Jesus confronts Saul um, which is the famous part of the story, but focus in on the less famous bit in our reading. Jesus speaks to a guy called Ananias in Damascus. We don't know much about Ananias, but he was apparently just kind of a regular Christian. And Jesus tells Ananias to get up and go find Saul and to uh, describe Jesus' beauty to Saul, to witness to Saul about Jesus. Now, pick up the story there. Look at verse 13 in the first reading. Many things about that. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man and how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call upon your name implicitly, including me. But the Lord said, Go. Now, pause. Because you should, can, can you feel his fear there? I mean, Jesus is asking Ananias to approach the man he feared most in the world. He knew he, knew he was coming. He knew he, he heard that Saul was coming, and he knew that Saul was the guy he needed to hide from. But Jesus says, go. Walk right into the flood. Walk toward, not away from, toward this 
perpetrator of violence. And Jesus says, describe my beauty right there. Now, why is this important? It's important because, like I said before, Christianity is the story of God in Christ entering the darkness, not saying at a safe distance, but entering into the darkness and there defeating it at the cross. So that Jesus walked right into the flood. It was right at the midst of the darkness and as the flood washed when he rose from them and drowned him, that's where the victory occurred. And three days later, we found out about that victory when he rose from the dead. Now, part of why that's important is because it means that you will never see the beauty of God more clearly than you will see it when you watch Jesus enter the darkness and defeat it there. Where do you see the beauty of God? Lots of places. Creation, yes. As we interact with one another, yes. Studying the good, the true, and the beautiful, absolutely. But all of those things are shadows next to the beauty of God displayed in Christ on the cross, triumphing over evil. And if that's true, it explains why it is that Jesus comfortable hands his disciples, to describe his beauty, not just in the safe and comfortable churches, but rather also and very often especially in the very darkest corners of our world and our experience. Now, here's an implication of all of this. If all this is true, then it means that we must be a people of hope and courage, I don't know about you, but um, there are times when I read the news or listen to the news, uh, and I just feel a certain hopelessness. Do you ever feel? Do you ever feel that way? I get weighed down by. It. I get overwhelmed by it. In fact, I've sometimes I just have to turn it off. I, and I feel the flood. And friends, I must repent of my hopelessness. Because a hopeless Christian has forgotten the cross. And a hopeless Christian has forgotten Jesus' victory. But when Jesus' victory becomes clear to you, then it fills us with hope, not um, kind of uh, optimism. Not optimism. We look right at the flood, and yet there is hope because we know Jesus has conquered the flood, and there's courage because we know people have courage. His team, and therefore we can go into it, just like Ananias. We've got to be people of hope and people of courage because Jesus defeated evil by walking right into it and he sends us there too. Okay, that's the first observation. Here's the second observation. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes our witness effective. John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, whom proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. The really super good news is that Jesus doesn't send us alone. Uh, The opposite is true. The Holy Spirit is before us so that as we describe Jesus' beauty, it's the Holy Spirit who works inside the heart and allows people to see that beauty and recognize it as beautiful. And therefore, if we're going to be resilient witnesses, uh, then we've got to be, we just got to have a high confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're toast. Let me illustrate again. Go back to Ananias. Um, Think about Ananias. What is it that made Ananias expect Saul to respond? 
Did he go in with a high confidence in his remarkable persuasive abilities? If you know anything about Saul, later became Paul, um, that would be a dumb to walk to talk to Paul thinking you're going to persuade him of something other than what he already thinks. No, he went in trusting that Jesus was going to do the heavy lifting. And the reason Saul listened is that as Ananias described Jesus to him, the Holy Spirit had already been working in Saul, and the Holy Spirit uh, recreated Saul from the inside out and gave him the capacity to see Jesus' beauty. This is one of the ways that Jesus conquers the flood, conquers the darkness. Um, Think of it this way. You know that when Jesus died upon the cross, the full flood uh, washed over him, the flood of the world's evil. When he... Here's again, he rose triumphant. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? Lots of things. Here's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit targets people whose hearts prefer the darkness, prefer the flood. And the Holy Spirit reaches into their hearts and then takes Jesus' victory and then applies it like a physician, like a, like a medicine right into the heart. And therefore, the Holy Spirit breaks our allegiance to, the, to ourselves, our allegiance to the darkness, our allegiance to the flood, so that we find ourselves desiring, wanting to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, whom we prefer, pre, uh, previously despised. That's exactly what the Christ Spirit did in Saul. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit has done in every one of you who's a Christian. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit desires to do in you, those of us who are just trying to figure it out. I'm not exactly sure it's a good idea. See, Ananias was courageous, resilient as a witness because he could rely on the Holy Spirit's work. That's the observation. Here's the implication. We've got to be a people of prayer and expectation. We've got to be a people of prayer because prayer is what dependence upon the Holy Spirit sounds like. A prayerless Christian is a self-reliant Christian. A self-reliant Christian is a powerless Christian. You'll never be resilient and you won't be a witness. We've got to pray. Do we? Do we? And more specifically, do we pray with a high expectation that the Holy Spirit has the power and inclination to break into the very darkest parts of the world with Jesus' beauty. Uh, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And do we pray that the spirit of truth will make Jesus clear to those in our lives who don't think Jesus is a good idea? Do we pray that the spirit of truth will break down the lies and the darkness that mark our, or do we, that mark our families, that mark our city, that mark our nation? Do we pray, or do we just despair? Or do we just pray little prayers about our own safety? That's not wrong. But there's more. Prayer and expectation is a sign that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And we can't be resilient witnesses without it. With it, we will be. Okay, last observation. We witness because we're chosen by Jesus. Uh, Again, look at the John reading. We looked at this last week briefly. Jesus says uh, in John uh, uh, 15, 19, Jesus reading, but a few disciples, I chose you out of the world. 
Uh, it's not in our reading, but a few paragraphs before this, Jesus explicitly says, disciples, don't imagine that you chose me. I chose you. <clears throat> and what does that mean? Well, a bunch. But here's one thing. It means that the disciples were not heroic volunteers. It means that the uh, disciples didn't wake up one morning and say, Jesus, do you need some help on your team? Well, you're welcome. <laughs> um, here we are. Um, uh, you can count on me. That's what, um, that's what we imagine, Jesus says. It's what we imagine. It's what our hearts like to think. But that's not what it was like. The apostles were just like Saul. Their hearts, they were in the world. We talked about this last week, right? Their hearts were filled with the flood of evil, though they were good at kind of camouflaging it. But they were allied to the darkness. And for some mysterious reason that I can't explain, Jesus chose them right when they were in the darkness. And there, the Spirit witnessed to their hearts. And then Jesus sent them out, not because they were so good, but because he was so gracious. That was their story, but it was also true of Saul. Uh, Jesus says to Ananias, verse 15 in the first reading, go, his name before Saul is a chosen, there's that word, chosen instrument of mine to carry his name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It's remarkable. Jesus chose Saul when Saul hated Jesus. Ends up that's quite standard for Christians. That sounds odd. Here's why it's important. It means that every Christian looks at the world and looks at the world's darkness and knows that left by ourselves, we'd be in there too. We can look at the world's darkness, not as very alien from us, but from something with which we have a great deal to do. Uh, at the beginning of the ser uh, service, we confess our sins and we said, apart from your grace, there's how much health in us? No health in us. And, and, and I know, I know we, we get quite stressed out by that. Um, we can continue having that conversation. But see, the, the Christian story is not, uh, I'm just good enough to figure out how to get better. That's not the Christian story. The Christian story is, I was happy in the darkness. And Jesus chose me by his unmerited kindness. And he rescued me out of the flood. And therefore he has claim on all that I am. And that's the opposite. And I willingly say yes to that. And that's the, that's the uh, observation. Here's the implication. We've got to have a constant sense of Jesus' personal grace to us. Do you have a constant sense of Jesus' personal grace to you? See, the only way we can describe the beauty of Jesus well is if his grace is our daily bread. It's not just a thing that got us in or on the team. It's our daily bread. We've got to have, uh, Jesus has to give us daily spiritual calories all the time. Otherwise, you don't have anything to witness. Yeah, he changes. And that explains why uh, Saul never recovered from Jesus' grace, right? Uh, he changed his name to Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul or St. Paul. He wrote a bunch of the Bible. And his specialty was in describing how everything in the Christian life is a response to the gift of God. And 2,000 la years later, we are his spiritual descendants. And therefore, let me ask you the question. 
Are you in touch with Jesus' personal grace to you? Do you know deeply that you were chosen not because you're good, but because Jesus is infinitely kind? And does that renew you with assurance and gratitude and joy? Let me ask a different question. Jesus calls all Christians to describe his beauty right in the midst of the darkness. So the crucial question is, has Jesus' beauty reach down into the darker resources of your own heart? Or is there just a a good deal of religious camouflage? We don't give what we haven't received, right? And did you know your your spiritual growth, you know, that you don't talk about? Jesus' grace really gets down into into the really ugly places, like the really ugly places that you don't talk about. When he gets down there... That's where real spiritual growth begins to happen. You, you find yourself animated with a, with, a, with a gratitude and a joy that is not yours. You didn't work it up. It's not just optimism. It's, it's hope and, and all of these sorts of things. Once that ha- starts to happen, it's really important for you. Of course it's important for you. It's really important for us. Your spiritual growth is important for us. Your spiritual growth isn't just for you, right? We all need you to be saturated with grace. I mean, it's good for you. It's important for you to be his important for our world, our city. Jesus chose you to be his witness. And everyone around you needs you to be uh, as fully uh, saturated with Jesus' grace as you possibly can. And so right now, understand that the Holy Spirit wants to apply the cross to your life I've been a Christian for a long time. I know. Jesus wants to apply the cross to your life. I'm not even sure Jesus is a good idea. Okay. Jesus, the Spirit wants to apply the cross to your life. And as that happens, watch as Jesus' beauty dispels the darkness. Receive his grace and don't ever recover from it. And that is precisely how the Holy Spirit will build our church to be a community of resilient witnesses. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmanuel Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jim Saladin, the minister here. At Emmanuel, we seek to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City and ultimately the world. We rely on the generous giving of people like you. Consider supporting our ministries at www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.